title of this message is called In the Beginning. It was a very short New Covenant portion, but it was one of those portions that affected my life dramatically, and that's why I chose it for this. When I was growing up, I noticed two things. My senses were sharp, and I could notice subtle changes in my surroundings, things that went unnoticed. My friends were blaring, glaring to me. But I also had an awareness of something else, something my natural senses could not understand, a sense that there was something else just beyond what I could perceive through these natural senses. I couldn't, couldn't explain it. It was just this visceral knowledge. Growing up in Judaism, I learned to call that sense of what existed beyond what I could touch, just beyond, I called that God and heaven. That was the verbiage of my people. As Moshe, I wanted to enter into that cloud of glory that surrounded him. I wanted to touch God. It's kind of weird for a little kid. Sometime after my bar mitzvah, I became totally disillusioned with the faith of my fathers which I found out later was not the faith of my fathers. My rabbis focused on me and my behavior. I was rarely taught much about the one who existed within that cloud of glory that appeared as a consuming fire to those down below, but that cloud of glory that Moshe went into and he was not consumed. He was enveloped with light and glory. Recently I read something. Rabbi Sachs was the chief rabbi of, uh, of England. Very profound man, a very intelligent man. And at, just before he died, he wrote a letter to the general population of Judaism and he expressed regret that perhaps the rabbis did a disservice in not teaching about in focusing only on what was good and what was evil that perhaps the message that we brought did not emphasize the glory of the one we follow enough. That's what happened to me. It was all about my behavior, what was right, what was wrong, good, evil. Where's the glory of the one that Moshe met? I left the faith of my fathers to seek his face as it was reflected in the creation. But seeing that reflected glory only served to whet my appetite 
I wanted to see the one who was being reflected, not just the reflection. An encounter with Yeshua changed everything. And for over 50 years now, I have searched for God in his word. That focus has completely consumed my life for the last 40 years. And today it is the only respite from the storm that I seek. You know, recently, maybe less than a decade ago, I had plans. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, this is what I need to prepare for here. And, and I have completely cast my gaze off of this and put them somewhere else. And I'm finding myself sheltered from that storm. It's still there. I just don't think about it. And it's become now something I don't even care about. My focus is totally off of anything that's going on here, which is why I can't find my keys. And I can't find my car when I go into the store and come back out. It's relatively easy with my truck because my truck has a horn, a real horn. The Subaru sounds like the Roadrunner. Beep beep. That's the sound. It doesn't carry very far. And so I wander around and people are here, beep beep, and I can't. When I first touched Yeshua, or maybe better, when he first touched me, I returned to all that I knew. And I began to study the Torah again. And I sought to conform my behavior to what the Torah said was good and avoid what the Torah said was evil. But again, that search left me, once again, as it did in my youth, unsatisfied. As my knowledge increased, so did my sorrows. All my striving to live holy failed to recreate the image and likeness of the one who first created me. I was missing something. The focus of my search, what I was looking for, was wrong. I came to the knowledge that all my work and striving was essentially focused on me engineering a process by which I could return back to God. And that realization left me hopeless. Where I began to realize I had the power to wander from God's presence in Gan Eden. But I didn't have the power to go back. I was barred by fierce creatures with flaming swords. And they frustrated every attempt for me to return. And that frustration led me to look where the light was better. Now I was looking in darkness. Step into the light and look. The light's better. 
Derech Chayim, the path of life, was not found in the wisdom of the knowledge of good and evil. That did not illuminate the path. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, we are told that man was created in the image and the likeness of God. In chapters 3 and 5 of Genesis, with the birth of Sheth, we are shown that man fell from that image of God and was now in the image of Adam, the image and likeness of Adam. We've covered this over the last two weeks. The new covenant reveals the one who will restore that image. God has already created a path and engineered a means by which I can make Shuvah return to him. I just have to find it. And the only place you find it is in the light where, it's, where the light is better. In his light, we see light. Man was created to exist in the presence of God, of the Creator. After he chose to leave God's presence, man would now, as the scriptures say in Genesis chapter 3:19, return to the earth. From out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That little verse of scripture is simply pregnant. It gives birth to a vast array of theology that man has come up with. Man was lakach, taken up or out of the earth. That's the word that is used in Genesis, lakach. God formed a block of red clay lovingly and he formed it into a shape into which God breathed a portion of his glory and that block of lifeless clay became alive. At the end, God will once again, lakach, take man out of this earth. The dead will rise up and leave the earth where they've been lying and the ones who are left alive will change and we will be lakach, taken up, taken caught up, taken out of this world to be with our Lord, and so shall we ever be with our Lord. Catholics call this assumption. Protestants call it rapture. Scripture calls it lakach, taken up, taken out. The process by which one thing is separated from another thing. And in this regard, it is, Lakach is a, a synonym with Kadosh, which means to separate out, to set aside one thing from another. Two trees in the midst of the garden were conspicuous. And they represent the same choice that God gave to Israel at Sinai, and that Yeshua gives us in the New Covenant. And the concept that was presented, the choice presented was life and blessing, death and cursing. That's what those two trees represent. Now although it is possible 
It is not likely that these trees were actual trees. It's possible, but not likely. Trees, in general, and the tree of life specifically, are often used metaphorically in scripture, as is the fruit of those trees. In fact, we're told we are known by our fruit. I don't have pears growing off of me. It's a metaphor used to describe the things I do. What I am known for is the words I speak and the things that I do. The fruit of the tree of life gave us access to eternal life. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil resulted in death and sorrow, work and hopelessness. Man abandoned life in the presence of God for knowledge of good and evil. Certainly the knowledge of good and evil is not bad in a certain context. Here was the difference, the antithesis of the tree of life. Interesting. God's first act of grace, as I now understand it, was denying man access to the tree of life after he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He did not wish man to live in that diminished condition for eternity. And so he barred access to the tree of life so that he could restore man and then, as we read in Revelation 22, the tree of life grows on the banks of the river of life that flows from the throne of God. That's one person. To me, these things are sublime. I sit there when I think of these things and just, I come undone. I am overwhelmed with waves and waves of God's light. Solomon reveals the fruit of the pursuit of knowledge and he fell into the same temptation as the first man, the wisest man on earth. Fell the same way Adam did. In his youth Solomon describes the tree of life as the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge in Proverbs 3. In a context, he's talking about wisdom. The tree of life. Her ways, wisdom, are ways of pleasantness, and all our paths are peace. She, wisdom, is a tree of life to, to those who take hold of it, and happy are those who support it. That's his first statement as a younger man. He then goes on to identify the three pillars by which the creation came forth, and the three pillars that continue to sustain, moment by moment, this creation. Three pillars are Chuchmah, wisdom, Bina, understanding, and Da'at, knowledge. 
In verses 19 and 20, he says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And by his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies dripped with dew. Rain. God's poetic. But as Solomon's wisdom grew with age and experience, he eventually concludes in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 17, I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this is a, a troubled wind, an unsettling wind, a, a wind that, not like the Ruach HaKodesh, a holy wind that quickens my soul. This is a wind that brings trouble, vexation to my soul. This I gave my heart to pursue wisdom. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now some see that as a contradicting, a contradiction. Solomon contradicting what he thought as a young man, now he's old. It was not. Solomon doesn't say it was not wisdom that produced madness in Solomon. And it was not knowledge that produced sorrow. It was the pursuit of wisdom. And the pursuit, it's like, it's like money is often taken out of, Yeshua's statements on money are taken out of context. Money is the root of all evil. Incorrect. You do err not knowing the scriptures. The love of, without that prepositional phrase, anybody who has money has now planted his roots in evil. Untrue. It's the love, the pursuit of money is the root of all evil. It was the pursuit of wisdom. In his old age, Solomon recognized that he had left his first love, God. Ironically, he, puts, he put the pursuit of God's wisdom, of God's knowledge, before a pursuit of God himself. And that amounted to madness. Left him mad and sad. We often equate the two, but they are not the same. It is easy to fall into this, this subtle trap. So many in ministry have. I have. It is easy to fall into it. Pastors focus on what God has entrusted them to do and sacrifice their alone time with God. They spend less time with God and more time doing what they think God is telling them to do. Without the alone time, you really don't know what God wants you to do. Scholars suffer from this even more dramatically. I have hundreds of books by scholars whose knowledge is so vast I am overwhelmed by it. When they speak, they're drawing from the Tanakh and from the Brit HaDashah and from the writings of the rabbis and the fathers and, and I, 
Their wisdom, their knowledge is profound. But that knowledge doesn't always, that knowledge about God doesn't always lead them to meet the one they study about. And I always pondered this. I said, how can you know so much about God's word and deny the existence of God? And perhaps my favorite scholar, David Flusser, a professor um, in, in Israel, in an interview, he, he was asked about this vast knowledge and he was discussing the Messiah myth and Judaism and emphasis on myth. And when he was queried about it, he said, well, scholars study what other people believe. And that short little sentence brought me an understanding of why or how you can have this vast amount of knowledge and not know the one that you've studied about. The desire of my neshama, that breath of God that was breathed into me, is to behold the face of God. Psalm 24, Psalm 27. You said, Lord, seek your face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. This is the generation that seeks the face of God, even Jacob. It's not just physical needs that Yeshua speaks of when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Adam abandoned the tree of life, the presence of God, for the tree of knowledge and specifically the knowledge of good and evil. A knowledge of good and evil does not reveal God. Only man's inability to seek to do good and his inability to refrain from doing evil. The acquisition of knowledge and more specifically good and evil produces great sadness in man. Solomon learned this as Adam before him. The tree of life was the dwelling presence of the glory and light of God in that garden. Man had free access to that. Adam had what I want. Come into the fullness of God's presence. And that light sustained the life of Adam. I brought this up two or three times over the last couple of weeks. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 27 describes and defines man. The light of God is the neshoma, his divine breath of man. This is why I refer to my my soul, my neshama, as a luminescent vapor. It is a breath of light, which in scripture is synonymous with life. God's glory invigorates that portion of God's light that dwells in me. It's what gives me life. John describes it this way in John chapter 1 verse 4. In him was life, and the life 
was the light of man. The story of Yeshua's interaction with Mary and Martha opened my eyes to the path that leads back to God. Short, but one of the most powerful verses of scripture, uh, verses of scripture for me. When Yeshua arrived at their home, Mary immediately sits at his feet, listening to Yeshua's words and learning from him. Martha is distracted from the Lord, as the scriptures say, being busy making preparations, fixing stuff up. You know, the Lord's coming over, you want to clean the house, you want to make a few sandwiches, whatever. One woman looked up. The other woman's gaze was to what was around her and down. Martha's frustration with her sister turns to anger and she commands the Lord. Tell her to help me. I'm doing all this stuff, she's sitting there. Tell her to help. The scriptures describe Yeshua's words. And he doubles up on the name. So I can just see him sitting there, Martha, Martha. You know, you just, you just see him. You are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. But Mary has chosen the choice part, and it will not be taken from her. That story revealed my strivings and failures over the course of the last half century. Perhaps my mother should have made me Martha. And that story turned my face from Martha, and I beheld Mary. And I assumed the posture of Mary before Yeshua. And I recognized my true desire, and everything that I've done has been an attempt to return to Gan Eden, to come into his presence and partake of the fruit of the tree of life, to sit at the feet of my Lord, to hear his words, to learn of him, to turn from the distractions of this world and seek the choice part. What was the missing ingredient in all my searching for knowledge that kept me from experiencing God? The choice part, a single word, rest. When God breathed the breath of man into life and made him in his image and likeness, he put him in a garden and there the man, the creation, and God all existed in Shabbat, rest. Man left the rest and Yeshua came 
to restore man, the creation, and God to that rest and subsequently peace. What are Yeshua's words? Come to me, all of you who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you Shabbat. Rest. All creation desires this condition. For it was cursed, not for its own sake, but for the sake of the man. At the end of my time in Idaho, I heard God calling me into ministry. I sat with my old pastor and who I had come to call friend. And he said something along the lines of, I can't remember it verbatim, but something along the lines of, well, I guess I knew that before you. And he ordained me. And then he sent me out. Wow, I thought we were friends. But that call didn't change me. I didn't rest in God's call. I was immediately distracted by the cares and the burdens of this, of this life. It happens to everyone. We hear God's call and immediately the serpent of old comes to us and distracts us. And I thought to me, I still have to make a living. I remained in construction. I reasoned if I don't provide for my family, I'm worse than the infidel, the unbeliever. I took my cue from Paul and his tent-making skills. Then I was injured. And I could no longer make tents and look for other ways to make a living. Oh, what a journey that was. And my frustration grew, as did my anger. I was not pleasant to be around. My first wife of blessed memory asked me a profound question one day after she was particularly frustrated with her husband. She looked at me in that face that all women make and that all men know. <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? Those words, uh, verbatim. And that question made me set aside seeking after what I would eat and how I would be clothed and where I would live. I sat down at the feet of Yeshua and heard his words, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And I answered her, I think God wants me to be a pastor. And she said, well, then do it. And that's why I'm here. If it wasn't for God speaking through that woman, you might have a pastor named Joe, Ralph, whatever. Wouldn't be Bert. With those words, I began to return to the rest of Gan Eden, and I began to set aside my strivings, and I found where that place God was hiding low those many years. And with each passing day, I entered deeper into the rest of my Lord, 
The course of this world was set the moment Adam turned from the tree of life and turned to the knowledge of good and evil. When I get back from Tennessee, we're going to delve into that more. And that course cannot be changed by any power that man possesses. I remember when I first heard about kingdom theology and some of my good friends had fallen into it. Well, if we will go out and evangelize Arabs, we can stop what God says is coming. And I remember thinking to myself the profound silliness of that. The hubris. My actions are going to stop the will of God from coming about as it is written in the scriptures? It's kingdom theology. This is just a small variation. It's very specific Arabs. And it's basically kingdom theology. We conquered this world in the name of Yeshua. And then we present it to him. And that causes him to return and take it from us. We can't deliver the mail on time. We can't agree with one another on some of the most simple matters. We're going to conquer a world that is an enemy of God and then hand it back to God? Folly, madness, a distraction. And we should not let the course of this world distract us from entering into the rest of God. John 17, verse 16. Yeshua is praying to his Father and he's describing us. They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. The first step in Lakach, being taken up or out of this world, is abandoning this world for the light of God's presence, to be in it, but not of it. John 17, 17, Yeshua, I can't think of the word, sorry, just momentarily left the world again. Um, he petitions his, his father, sanctify or separate them out from the world in truth. Your word is truth. The generation of men during the last days are identified by the term, the Greek term, apostasia. It is what in English we call apostasy, a falling away. And we're told that there will be a great falling away in these last days. A generation so obsessed with themselves, lovers of self, and entangled with the world, that they simply walk away from God. And the further they travel from the source of love, the colder that flame burns until it is finally extinguished. 
and the love of many grow cold. And as in the days of Noah, with little love, violence fills the earth. We are beholding in before our eyes this process unfolding every single day. God does not alleviate but intensifies this condition strangely. The prophet Amos speaks words that apply to our time. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not of bread, not of a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the truth of God's word. The flesh will be satisfied. The neshama will be left starving and withering. Denied access to the bread of life and the waters of life. However, there is a remnant in that generation, as there is in every generation, that stays faithful and seeks to draw nigh unto God. Children of light who are drawn inexorably into that light. Psalm 24, verse 6. Such is the generation of those who seek your face, even Jacob. I mentioned this a few times in the past. Each one of the fathers has, is given purview over certain aspects of our relationship with God. Avraham, father of faith. Yitzchak was the fathers of those who enter into rest, who meditate and try to hear God's voice. He sat in the field meditating to hear God on the woman that he was bringing her so that he would recognize the woman that God was bringing to him through the servant of Avraham. Jacob is the father of all those who seek to behold the face of God. That's what David is talking about. This is an ancient understanding of my people. Eons old. The choice in our time is the same as it has always been. Life blessing, death cursing. Life and blessing for those who desire to draw near to him and death and cursing for those who abandon him for anything else including even knowledge. The world is rapidly leaving their faith in God. America is now under 50% of those who call themselves Christians. England has followed suit. Other nations will fall. We are in the midst of the great apostasia. We are watching it unfold moment by moment. And their love is becoming cold. Whatever the reasons they leave, that's not relevant. It's the leaving that's relevant. Swim against this tide. It is harder in this life. Seek his face and you will find him. That's his promise. 
And when we have finished, the more, the closer we draw until the until unto that face, the less relevant we are here. <laughs> and one day, lekach, we have taken up, and we are no more in this world. Father, in Yeshua's name, we give praise, honor, and glory. I thank you for eyes to see the glory of the place we were, the glory of the one who will restore us to the place of glory that we shall be. I thank you for the love that you have shown even from the beginning. When you prohibited us after the fall from living eternally in that condition and expressing your love in the person of our Messiah, our Lord and Savior. Let us see the light that illuminates the path. Let us hear his whisper behind us on that path. This is the way, walking in. Lord, lead us back home. In Yeshua's name, amen.